Welcome back to the second episode of Unknown Friends Season 2. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and just in case you're new, this is my weekly book review podcast where I discuss generally one book per week from my personal reading list. Although an exception to that typical schedule is coming up very soon, more on that at the end of the episode. Be that as it may, thank you so much for tuning in today, and if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your book-loving friends. So today's book is by American writer Connie Willis, and it is cheerfully titled Doomsday Book. Connie Willis is a highly respected sci-fi and fantasy author, although several of her works have the flavor really of historical fiction, Doomsday Book being one of those. She is also, which we will talk about later, a Christian. Willis was born in 1945, and she is still going strong at the age of 75, uh, still writing books and short stories, blogging, maybe even speaking, I'm not sure. Uh, She started out as an English teacher and got her first short story published just before her 25th birthday in late 1970. But it wasn't until 12 years later that she was able to actually quit teaching to pursue writing full-time. And since then, she has written over two dozen novels, novellas, and short story collections. She's won lots of awards for her science fiction, uh, most notably 11 Hugo Awards and 7 Nebula Awards, uh, which are both presented annually for works of speculative fiction. My understanding is that she is particularly known for the comedy and satire and social commentary in her writing, although I I have the impression that there are less of those things in Doomsday Book than in some of her other works, though I can't say that from personal experience as this is her only book I have read. Her most famous works are a set of loosely connected novels sometimes called the Oxford Time Travel Series. Um, Although they pretty much work as standalones, they're just connected sort of conceptually. The first book in this set is Doomsday Book, followed by To Say Nothing of the Dog, and then a two-part novel consisting of Volume 1 called Blackout and Volume 2 All Clear. So these books are connected in that they are all set slightly in the future, in the mid-21st century, and they focus on various historians at the University of Oxford who study historical periods by actually time-traveling to those periods, because it's science fiction, and so scientists have figured out how to travel through time. In Doomsday Book, our Oxford historian travels to the Middle Ages, uh, the early 14th century to be precise, Whereas in To Say Nothing of the Dog, the main character travels to the late Victorian period, and in Blackout and All Clear, the historians travel to the World War II era. But like I said, other than this general setup of time travel, there's not much else that overlaps between these different novels, from what I understand. Uh, So any of the three stories can be read as standalones. But Doomsday Book was the first published, and it's the one I've read and the one I'm here to discuss with you. It came out in 1992 and won both the Hugo and the Nebula Awards that year for science fiction. The funny thing is, though, uh, how much more like historical fiction this book feels than science fiction. I mean, yes, there is uh, time travel 
And there are other technological advances in this uh, mid-21st century world that make the story feel somewhat futuristic. But a lot of the novel takes place in the 14th century, uh, where the Oxford historian has traveled for research. So half the time you forget you're technically reading a sci-fi novel. So our main character is an undergraduate student named Kivrin, and she is studying the Middle Ages. She is totally fascinated with the culture and language and history of England in the medieval era, and she has dreamed of actually traveling there through time to do, uh, you could say, fieldwork as a historian, on-site research. So it has taken many, many months of preparation and also working through university politics to pull strings to allow Kivrin to make this admittedly dangerous journey through time. And she herself has actually spent a couple of years studying and practicing, uh, not only to, you know, intellectually know what there is to know about the medieval time period, but also to learn some of the skills necessary for living there. Uh, basic things like wilderness survival, just, you know, building fires, foraging for edible foods, um, and also skills uh, perhaps more specific to the era, horseback riding and tending farm animals, um, dyeing and sewing clothes, herbal remedies for sickness and injuries, cooking, the kind of food they ate, just all kinds of stuff. Uh, and not to mention the language. Kivrin has to learn to speak and understand Middle English. Uh, so you can see why it takes months and months of preparation. Kivrin's plan is to travel to the 14th century for about two weeks and then come back to the current time and document her findings. But while she's there in the Middle Ages, she has to do her very best to blend in. She has to, to live among the people as one of them incorporated into their daily lives if she hopes to really understand uh, what their lives are like. And in order to fit among them, she has to essentially uh, come up with a medieval character to play, uh, because obviously she can't tell the people in the 14th century that she's a historian from the future, come back in time to study them. That would not be believed, and she might just get burnt at the stake as a witch or a heretic if the people uh, suspect her of being out of place in their world. So she has to come up with a believable story about who she is and how she fits in. And she has to look and act like an actual person from the era as much as she possibly can. So she does all this preparation, mostly under the guidance of one of the other main characters in the book, Mr. Dunworthy, who is not actually her supervisor at Oxford, but he is a professor there, and he ends up uh, preparing her better for medieval life than her own tutors are able to do. Uh, so Professor Dunworthy has taken Kivrin under his wing and prepared her for time travel. The appointed time for her to make her trip to the Middle Ages is in December, around Christmas time. And she will take with her an audio recording device that she can use as a kind of um, diary or, or logbook to make note of her research while she's in the 14th century. And then she will return to the present day after two weeks. Now, all this has to be coordinated very carefully with her professors and the technicians who will be monitoring her journey and, and coordinating the times and places of her departure into the past and return into the present. 
as you can imagine, lots of things could go wrong. Uh, there can be what is known as slippage in the planned uh, timetable, meaning that Kivrin could arrive anywhere from a few hours to days or weeks outside the intended um, arrival time in the Middle Ages. Uh, and the exact location where she intends to travel could also be miscalculated slightly. But wherever she does arrive in the 14th century, she can only return to the present time from that exact location. It becomes like a, a portal. So she must keep track of the precise spot if she ever hopes to get back home. Anyway, after all this training and planning, the book actually opens when Kivrin is finally about to be sent through into the past, uh, with Professor Dunworthy and her tutors there monitoring the portal. She is sent through, she disappears, and from there, through the whole of the book, we then follow two storylines alternating between chapters. We track Kivrin's experience in the 14th century as she slowly figures out precisely where and when she is. And then back in the present day, we follow Mr. Dunworthy. Uh, because not only, as you can imagine, do things start going wrong for Kivrin very quickly, but things start going wrong in the present day as well, right from the get-go. Uh, the technician who monitored Kivrin's portal through time soon approaches Mr. Dunworthy afterward saying that something went wrong. And almost immediately, the technician falls ill and can no longer communicate. And shortly after that, lots of people are falling ill and no one knows what has caused this epidemic. So Professor Dunworthy is trying, you know, first of all, to figure out what the technician meant by something having gone wrong, presumably with Kivrin's time travel. And then secondly, Dunworthy and the rest of Oxford are all trying to identify the source of the strange virus that's wreaking havoc around them. So those are the two storylines, Kivrin's and Mr. Dunworthy's, and we spend about equal time between each of them. While all this confusion is going on in the present day, Kivrin is introduced to a medieval family that takes her in. Uh, she runs into difficulties pretty quickly as she interacts with them. She gets sick, uh, and she loses track of the location where she must eventually return in order to be transported back to the present day. So a lot goes wrong, as it should in any story. And to say too much more about the plot would get into spoiler territory. So we are not going there. Okay, so let me take a moment here to describe my impressions of this book's uh, style and pacing. Doomsday Book is a very slow-moving novel. I read it as an audiobook, and it was somewhere around 25 hours long, and from what I've seen, it's about 600 pages in print. However, I read a lot of long books, and I don't find them all, you know, inherently slow or boring. Doomsday Book is a little bit unusual in that it isn't just slow, it's incredibly repetitive. Uh, rather than keeping up a slow but steady forward-moving pace, for much of the book, it doesn't feel like it's moving forward at all. It churns the same couple of questions for about, 
honestly, about two-thirds of the length of the novel, just asking and re-asking them without letting the characters make any progress toward finding answers. Uh, So, for instance, after the technician tells Professor Dunworthy that something went wrong with Kivrin's time travel, and then he immediately falls ill, Dunworthy visits him in the hospital again and again, and each time asks him what he meant, uh, what went wrong, and you get nothing. (laughs) Over and over, the technician, like, half- wakes up from his fever and manages a word or a phrase, but just before he can say anything meaningful, he collapses again. (sighs) And pretty much that exact scene occurs several times, and as a reader, you feel like this is almost a cop-out on the part of the author. It's like she's trying to build suspense and, and leave you on a cliffhanger, but it's the same stinking cliffhanger she keeps bringing you back to for like 400 pages before you finally get an answer and move on. Uh, but on the other hand, what is maybe even more frustrating is that the reader figures out the answers to at least some of the questions much sooner than the characters figure it out. So you start to get really frustrated with the characters, uh, and you get even more frustrated with the author for making them run in circles looking for answers, uh, when you, the reader, can see the answers sitting right there in the corner. So this gets tedious, as you can imagine. Um, I honestly think Doomsday Book could be half the length it is and still communicate everything Connie Willis needed to communicate, just by leaving out all the repetitive non-progress. And, you know, more broadly, while Kivrin's storyline in the 14th century is interesting, although it is very slow-moving, the other half of the novel, the alternating chapters following uh, Mr. Dunworthy's side of the story— I really struggled to care about at all. It's a lot of university politics and logistics, and while there are occasional interesting scenes, I just never felt intrigued by Dunworthy's storyline or invested in it. Uh, And it takes up half the book, so that alone I think is one of the book's major weaknesses. So what that all comes down to is this. About one-sixth of the novel is really interesting uh, and compelling and thought-provoking, because Dunworthy's half is not very interesting, in my opinion, and about the first two-thirds of the novel as a whole is exasperatingly slow. So that leaves the last third, Kivrin's side only, that I thought was really compelling. So, all that said, let me finish up here with a quick discussion of that sixth of the book, which is, I think, uh, what the whole novel has been trying to get at up to this point. I have mentioned that Kivrin falls ill after she travels to the Middle Ages, Uh, and of course there's also some strange epidemic happening in modern-day Oxford at the same time that Mr. Dunworthy is dealing with. So disease is central in Doomsday Book. And although it's present from nearly the first chapter, it's really in Kivrin's storyline in the final third of the novel that it takes a front and center stage, and you you have to face it like never before. I can't go into too much detail without spoiling the plot, but suffice it to say that 
Even after Kivrin recovers from her illness, the people around her in the 14th century start to come down with this deadly uh, and highly contagious something. And she's the girl in the middle of it all with a modern medical understanding, but very few tools that she can use to help those around her. Of course, no, you know, medicine worth speaking of, no medical instruments, almost no way of really sanitizing things. Uh, and of course, no good way to help those around her understand what we now consider uh, basic hygiene and, and safety precautions, right? I mean, doctors did not even start washing their hands until the 1800s. So you can only imagine what Kivrin is dealing with back in the 1300s, uh, especially when she is a stranger among these people. So why would they trust her on anything? So she's up against a very difficult situation, a very uh, dark situation. And this, I would argue, is what the book is all about. Uh, you could drastically condense the first two-thirds of the book and really all of Dunworthy's storyline, and still have the core of the story right here, with Kivrin fighting for the lives of these people she's only known for like a week, but who she's already grown to care about. Now, you may have guessed, I found this a particularly interesting story to read at the close of 2020, uh, for two main reasons, the first being the relevance of this book during the COVID pandemic and lockdown. It was a fascinating comparison and contrast to consider uh, how we think about and have handled our virus and how Kivrin handled a much, much more dangerous virus in the 14th century. Uh, well, and, and there's the third layer of how uh, Dunworthy and his colleagues treat their own epidemic in 21st century Oxford, which doesn't have a, a crazy high mortality rate, but does take some lives. They enact a quarantine almost immediately to contain the disease inside the city of Oxford, which works. It does keep the virus from spreading. Uh, I won't go any deeper into that. But anyway, reading this book in 2020 was timely. But secondly, reading it at the end of the year during Advent season was also very timely. I mentioned already that Kivrin's journey back in time was set to take place around Christmas, which seemed kind of random to me at first. But as I progressed through the novel, I realized that this was crucial to the story's main themes. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Christmas and incarnation. I said at the beginning of the episode that Connie Willis is a Christian. In Doomsday Book, her modern-day characters, for the most part, do not seem to be Christians, whereas her medieval characters, for the most part, are. Uh, I mean, everyone at least professed Christianity in medieval England. But the most obvious Christian character in the book is the priest in the 14th century village where Kivrin finds herself, Father Roche. His is really the only faith in the story which is clear and uh, strong and vibrant. And what is especially remarkable is how his faith remains so steadfast, even through the deep darkness that overtakes his community when this horrible disease spreads through the village. Uh, no matter what tragedies surround him or even affect him personally, 
He just continues to serve others tirelessly, and he keeps his trust in God. And interestingly, he sees the good that Kivrin is trying to do to help the sick. He sees uh, the hope she has brought, and he thinks of her as almost uh, a messenger from God sent to help them in this time. Although Kivrin does not see herself this way. But what happens... Uh, and other details throughout the novel prompt the reader to think along this line, but I just can't list them all. What happens is that you start to consider the incarnation of Christ from a new angle. Kivrin, uh, well, this is my simplified, <laughs> abbreviated explanation. Kivrin is a kind of Christ figure, very loosely. She she left her home including her father figure, Professor Dunworthy, in order to live for a short time among these rough, filthy, diseased people as one of them, and she loves them and tries her best to help them. And for Kivrin, as a non-Christian herself, when she at last does see her role in this way and realizes that Father Roche sees her this way, almost as a parallel to Christ's incarnation, I think this opens Kivrin's mind to the possibility of viewing God and his son in a positive way that she had refused to consider before. Uh, so I don't know how well I explained that, but there are lots of hints in Doomsday Book that the Advent setting is not coincidental. Uh, and we are supposed to meditate on the meaning of Christ's advent and to recognize that no matter what tragic things happen to us in life, the astounding love of Jesus in coming to us and becoming one of us uh, and the extraordinary hope he gives us far, far outweighs our tragedies. So, that pretty much covers what I wanted to share about Doomsday Book. I was pretty hard on Connie Willis's writing style, her very, very slow pacing in this novel, uh, and I think her characters are largely one-dimensional, but I can't go into that today. But I do want to give credit where credit's due, and the place where she at last brought the story was interesting and even inspiring to an extent and certainly thought-provoking. And not only that, but even in the midst of what I described as the, the tedious build-up to the novel's climax, one more thing that does make her work stand out is her approach to history. She clearly has done tons of research and genuinely cares about history, enjoys it in all its nitty-gritties. Uh, I learned some things about life in the Middle Ages from reading this ironically science fiction book. Uh, Connie Willis is so detailed in her description of 14th century life that history nerds might not even mind the slow pace of the plot because they would just uh, relish the, the experience of medieval life regardless of storyline. And this actually relates to the principal strength of the novel that I saw recommended, which first made me interested in reading it. Um, a couple of reviewers whose opinions of books I highly respect described Doomsday Book as one of the few works of historical fiction which treats uh, the people of the Middle Ages as simply human. 
often medieval historical fiction paints the people as either uh, saints or buffoons, uh, uncultured, unintelligent. But Doomsday Book falls into neither pitfall. Uh, It does a great job of, yes, portraying a culture that is in many ways very different from ours, but the people there are still human. Uh, We can relate to them in fundamental ways. And so I, I can't review Doomsday Book without praising this aspect of it. Now, am I recommending the novel? Not unless you have 25 hours to kill, uh, or you're just a total history nerd, which is not a bad thing. If you do try reading it, just a quick warning, it is kind of gross in its descriptions of the horrible effects of the diseases people suffer from in the story, so just beware if you are particularly sensitive to that kind of thing. Uh, overall, I didn't feel like it was a total waste of time for me, but it is not one of my top recommendations, uh, and I kind of doubt I personally will try reading any more of Connie Willis's work. But, you know, some people love it, so who am I to tell you not to read it? So that concludes today's review. Let's take a quick look ahead before we part ways. Our next two episodes are going to be just a little bit different in that they both will be about the same book, Mansfield Park by Jane Austen, a longtime favorite of mine. So episode three coming next Wednesday will be, like most of my episodes, just a normal review uh, with a description of the book's plot and characters and themes and why I recommend the book. But then episode four coming February 3rd will go much more in-depth into the details and nuances of what Jane Austen is communicating through this novel, through these characters. Uh, And so this episode of Deeper Analysis will give away some spoilers. Um, I want to give you fair warning. So if you just want my basic review, you can listen to episode three without any worries. Uh, But then if you have read or decide to read Mansfield Park for yourself, you may be interested in the follow-up episode that really gets into the layers of meaning. Why this heroine is so different from Austen's other heroines, why I strongly disagree with modern criticism of the book, um, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited to share that in-depth episode with you in two weeks after my initial review next week. Um, I'm also just super pumped to talk about Jane Austen two weeks in a row. She's so amazing. Thank you for tuning in today, and remember to tell all your acquaintances who are also bookworms about Unknown Friends if you think they'd be interested in the podcast. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and if you want to learn more about me and the stage plays and skits I write, you can visit my website, kittywamproductions.com, linked in the episode description. Come back next week for part one of my discussion of Mansfield Park. 